welcome to As the Wheel of Time Turns. This is a Mangle Talks podcast dedicated to breaking down each and every episode of the Amazon series Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Liam. Here I'm joined by my co-host, BJ. BJ, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Just back from some travel, I think, right? Yep. You're, you're back for some travel. So, uh, BJ, podcast professional, doing the pod immediately after work travel. Shout out. Uh, Bree, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. Excited to be here. All right. And Sarah? I'm great. I'm finally bought into the show, guys. It it took me to this episode, but I'm here for it. I think a solid yeah, like, episode. Yeah. Yeah, like I complained about that they the released the first three episodes all at once, mostly because it made it functionally impossible for us to follow week yeah. by week based yeah. on personal schedules, right? Which really sucks. I like following the shows week by week. However, when you watch the first three, mm-hmm. I feel like it does kind of make sense that they put them all together, right? Like you start with Nynaeve, like at end of episode two, Nynaeve standing in front of the arches, cold opening episode three, she goes through three arches, right? Like it feels almost like one long episode, the first three, and then then you feel bought in. I don't right. know yeah, if anybody and, else felt that way. And I, I was telling you, I mean, I made the conscious decision that I was going to watch each episode for each episode of the podcast that we were doing, which you know, has pluses and minuses. But one of the things that was a minus is that that's not how they were released. And, you know, you all were very positive about the last episode. I got off the podcast last week and was like, guys, I didn't really like that episode. (laughs) I don't know why y'all liked it so much. Well, I think it's probably partially because it makes more sense in context when you're viewing it straight into episode three. Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, it... Again, yeah, as you're saying, it's very hard to divorce, but I feel like these episodes have uh, been in a serious like uptick of the quality of TV yeah. that we're watching. And yeah. so And I don't I don't say that to mean that I didn't like last week's episode, but I was I was less engaged with it than I was with the first episode and certainly with this one. Yeah. This episode was great. Two and three should be watched right together, yeah. I feel like. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, so here on the podcast, we'll go through a, a breakdown. We'll go through a recap of the episode. I am going to try something a little different this week. I'm going to try a recap that is a little more skimmed down. So I will summarize the scenes. Uh, I'll do a little bit less um, quoting, although I do a little. I'll do some quoting if I feel like the quote is like imperative to the plot. But like I'll try to do less of that. Hopefully, that opens up for a little bit more discussion about where the show is because I feel like we've gotten enough of season two now that. You could you like you can almost like start theory crafting. You can get excited about where where it's at, right? Because they've they've told a little bit of a story here. Um, so I hope that that's what we can kind of do as we go. Hey, we'll Lee. do that. Then we'll yep. So does that mean you're altering the pattern? I'm yes, that's right. We always the wheel wheels. Uh, Maybe a different turn has something better in store for you. <laughs> yeah, me me and Nynaeve are trying alternate reality. Yeah, this is the alternate reality of the podcast. We will go through the recap. I will slim it down. We try to engage, talk about where the show is, what we like, what we don't like. Then we will go to our favorite scenes, favorite lines of dialogue, and we'll nominate those for the week. And I believe, didn't we let, I believe last season, we let Brie decide that, right? Like she was the god emperor of that yes. segment. I can. Okay, let's, let's, let's bring that back. I, I want you to. I want you to be the final say, Brie. You know, I, I'm trying a new uh, method of government this year. It's somewhat less um, royalty driven and a little more democratic. Hi, Lady Bree. <laughs> Long fingernails. All right. So, okay. Well then, well, then just think of it as you're voting, and then whatever you vote, we will. We may or may not decide is the actual 
uh, winner of the week. Then we'll go to, uh, I think, our favorite what, characters of the week, winners and yep. losers. Winners and losers, yeah. Which is a lot of fun. And then we will, Sarah and I will drop off, and BJ and Bree will go into some book discussion where this is with the books or is not with the books, which I, I'm not listening to the segments, but I imagine that's the majority of what it is based on the <laughs> online commentary I hear is what, what, how it's not like the books. Um, which is really exciting. Yeah, it, it is a little difficult, like, not doing the show week by week because now I think I've, we've watched through, what, episode six, I believe? Yep, that sounds right. Yeah, that's where we're at in real time, and we're covering now episode three, and, like, I'm just doing... I, I just not, like... I know in my recap I'm focusing on particular things more because <laughs> I've watched the next three episodes. Yeah, I know. I get on here, and you're doing a, like, next-on wheel of time for me. I'm... What do you think of Celine? What do you think of Celine? Huh? Huh? I don't know. Huh? It seems like she's just a lady. She... Oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So, anything, uh, BJ, Bree, you want to talk about before we jump into the recap? Any general thoughts about the episode or where we're at? This was a no. fun one. I enjoyed uh, this. I think it. This was where I was really like, ah, oh, awesome. This is this is great. I think that it's also a really good thing because. Uh, they're getting audiences used to alternate realities more and more this season. And I think that is, it is a very important thing in the books. And I'm glad that they seem to be doing a pretty good job with it, uh, especially with the like question where you're at. Uh, there's a, yes. a little bit of a, you know, Westworld aspect to this where it's just like, what world are you in when, like, who are these people? And uh, I think that there are enough hints that like you can kind of pick things up. Um, but but yeah, I, I think that they're really leaning into question reality sometimes. And maybe you should like have some hints on when to do it. And also question characters and their motives. And maybe you have uh, some reason to do it and things to look for. Yeah, I feel like with a lot of shows that play with different realities, what I feel like the writers are doing is they want to give us a scene to shock us, scare us. Oh my gosh, so-and-so died. Something happened. Oh my God. And then they boop, pull back. It's a different reality. That didn't really happen. Sopranos would do that with the dream sequences all the time. A bunch of shows have done that. Um, how do you, do y'all feel like the show is using it as a crutch? Because I honestly don't. Like, I don't feel like we're getting things in the alternate realities that are meant to do like, you know, horror movie jump scares or like real spikes in emotion. I feel like it's part of the storytelling. Yeah. And I would agree. And I guess also because, well, it's a little bit hard because we know the books. So when they were like, oh, Nynaeve is dead. I was like, nah, like <laughs> we know that's not true. By the way, the folks who didn't read the books also, we were also saying nah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what, where I was like for context. But I feel like even if I had not read the books, I would not have believed that line at all. Right. Yeah. So I think, I don't think that they, they set that up to be believable. And I think they're okay with that. I also think that making it clear uh, or clearer, especially with these arches that, you know, this is, they're like, this is fairly pretty much indistinguishable from reality, but it is an alternate reality and you're going to experience some things in there makes it so that like they, they do play with it. And so you, there, there is like a little bit of like a, where are we? What are we doing? Um, but I think that giving that to the audience and giving that to the characters means that you don't have sort of the same uh, bait and switch that I think a lot of other TV shows, I think Lost was sort of the famously uh, oh. angry one. Oof, tough. Yeah. yeah. Difficult. But uh, well, they would do the flashbacks and then, you know, 
it could either be real or not real. Yeah, I, that's that's a great example of a show that like I felt like used it as a device to elicit cheap emotional scenes mm-hmm. from the audience. Like, oh, okay, there's just a really quick emotional scene from the audience. I don't think anybody believed Nani was dead, no. so I didn't think it was done for that reason. Okay, but that's a great uh, segue into our start of our episode, right? We start with um, the arches, which were explained as a tur- the arches themselves. PJ, breathe. Tell me if I'm screwing this up. Are Turangrial, right? And that that what the that is a magical item um, <laughs> that the uh, anybody who can channel interacts with it to try to figure out what a Turangrial is. And it, sometimes when they discover Turangrials, like they will attempt to try to figure out what it is, and they'll like die. Like that's what they said in this episode, right? Is that like I said I can die trying to manipulate them, figure out what they are. These, however, have been thoroughly tested. They know exactly what these are. You go through them and you see your worst fears come to life, basically. Okay, yeah, anything, I mean... Anything I screw up? You're you're essentially correct. There are some maybe differences between what you've said and what the book might include as Terre Angriel, but I think that's a pretty good definition to start with. Yeah, and did Moraine have a Terre Angriel last season san angriol i think and that was the thing that the i don't I don't know if i'm saying the word but it said slightly different but there was okay. a magical item that rand used to uh magnify mm-hmm. amplify his channeling but what is that called Sa angriol okay. yeah okay. so Got it. uh in the books there are three different things i think that they're simplifying it down to two just to make life easier uh basically there's in the, the book there's angriol and Angriel, which are just two different levels of channeling enhancement and then they're tearing real which were more like things to make your life more useful um and i think mm. the idea is that you know it's kind of like they have a power source like they have a plug in the wall and they're just plugging things in and so like you never know what you're gonna get and if you just plug things in and don't know what you're doing you could die like you know if you plug you in a toaster it. and you're standing in a bath you know that'll end it but like it doesn't mean that the toaster's generally dangerous you just have no idea what it's going to do and so it's like a dangerous thing to just start plugging things in you might get burned out yeah Mm. thank you that that is a much clearer explanation of what Angriol, Angriol, and Turangriol is than the show has given us that is super helpful because that's exactly what they explain right so um they talk about how they you know these uh it's the Surangriol or the the Turangriol here are the arches and you go through them and you will see your greatest fear. They kind of set her up and they're like, all right, you're going to do it. They kind of hype her up a little bit and they say, but here's the deal. A couple rules. Once you start going through the arches, you can't stop. So you can't like go through one and then say, ah, fuck it. I don't want to do the, sec- the second and the third. If you do, you're out. You're ne- never going to be nice to die, right? And once you go in and you see your greatest fear, you will, in, in that individual arch, you will see a path back. I think it says the way back will come but once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that, as we're watching this right now, everybody's watching this episode has seen the full episode, right? Yeah. So Sarah and I are rewatching doing our notes, and they said that, and Sarah kind of muttered, "Yeah, but yeah, but the arches don't just appear once; they appear multiple times, right? Because that's what we see with Nynaeve in the last one. And so my what my in, my interpretation of this is that everyone who's ever been through the arch has only reported that they saw the way back once. Nobody has ever gone through and come back and said, oh yeah, I had a couple opportunities, I took the third one. So they think this is a hard and fast rule. And what happened, and 
us as viewers, I think, are supposed to think that what happens with Nynaeve is extraordinary. The fact that she gets multiple opportunities to come back through the last one. So I, th- Interesting. I think that they, this is where, again, a time that they, I think that they're straddling the book and something different and it comes out weird uh, in two ways. One, in the book, you really get uh, it's past, present, present and future in terms of fears and things that you need to overcome. And that's what they do. Oh my gosh. Dick, okay. A little Dickens situation. Um, and they're very obvious about it in the books. And, and in the books, like when she comes out of the first one, it's like you're washed clean of your past and like now you're ready to move forward. And then like there's, there's a little bit more with the, uh, like what each of them are supposed to represent and like why you do them. But quite frankly, I'm kind of glad they took that out because the reality is, is I don't think that's going to be super relevant to the story in general. So why use all your time explaining something that is probably not going to come up again? I mean, presumably we're going to see this a couple more times. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I don't know what they're going to do with it. But like, um, I th- I think that... I mean, we saw it that way, and, you know, I, I feel like it wasn't as maybe as obvious to the audiences that that's exactly what they were doing. And then the other thing that they had in the books, which um, I now recognize, like, going through a second time that I didn't think about the first time, uh, when she goes through the third arch, like, something weird happens. It's not like she mm-hmm. immediately appears. She's just sort of, like, falling through this, like, yeah. portal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it felt very, like, Doctor Who-y. Um, Mm -hmm. and then she sort of eventually lands where she's supposed to be maybe. Um, and so I didn't, the first time I watched this think something's weird about this. Uh, but in the book, they're very clear that something weird is going on. And so I think that, uh, that's sort of what you're supposed to pick up. And that also like the arch didn't fully appear the third time. And I think that they're sort of playing with that, that, like, this is a little bit of a weird case. I also... Okay. Well, can we theorize about why it seems to be weird? Yes, please. So I suspect that the scene that we got with her falling and she's in the red dress and then struggling is essentially that she is trying to... Or the arches are trying to figure out what is her greatest fear for the future. Is it Mm. her becoming a red or her losing land? Or somewhere yeah, because in the the red hints are all through this, right? Because in the first yeah. one, the first art, she's in a field and she has some herbs, and her dad tells her, "Remember, red is dead." Right. Yeah. Then they they have a little bit of a fight, and then her fam- family's being attacked. She sees the arches, she jumps out, so that's one down. Um, but yeah, she hears red is dead in that first one. Yeah, and so they have the uh, I think it's red thorn a couple of times. So that's in the history that's in that's in the one with her dad that's presumably what they're giving tam um mm-hmm. and it was also heavily important in the last episode um the other thing that i think the red dress could be is like a nod to uh something that happens way in the future in the books um and is another one of her uh like fears and i mean like we do have a little bit of this where you know she's a very down-to-earth uh, like this is good enough for me. Like I don't need any frippery or stout two rivers yeah, wool. Exactly, stout two rivers <laughs> wool, and we see her in what looks like a silk red dress, like a yeah. Um, and so I think that it also may play into one of her fears of 
you know, does she need to become a lady to be with Lamb? Um, but mm. that's, I don't know, tying a lot of things together that, like, again, like, I don't really know what they were trying to do in that scene, and I'm just, like, fitting it into, like, what I know of the books, which I think is much harder for the viewers to do. And again, like, given that they're taking a lot of things out and going different ways, I don't think this is spoilers for the show. But yeah, I, sure. I feel like it's also just stuff that is hard to pick up on and, like, see where they were going unless you know a little bit more about what's going on in book two, at least. I see the point. I think that thread might be a, a little bit thin. Yeah. But they yeah, could also know, just like be, that. like, give me a nod to book readers. Yeah. So then the second arch happens, right? And she goes to Two Rivers and they're sick and she talks with Tam. Shout out that the actor who plays Tam, uh, Rand's father, gets a uh, season credit. He's, he gets a season. <laughs> yeah. He's in season two. We got him officially. in. <laughs> I, like that, uh, I like that Lord Bolton made his way in. So then she, she leaves telling him she'll come back. She goes in a third time. That's the big one, right? That's when she meets Lamb. Like she, she, first off, she goes in, and then it seems like she comes back out. And then it's almost like the, the, the false awakening from a dream, right? Yeah. When you wake up from a dream, and you, it's like you're not really awake, but you think you're awake in your bed. Um, then she goes, she sees Lan, uh, chooses not to go through the arch that's there, uh, or doesn't, or doesn't see really it, see it. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. It, like, cause like, she, she tells him, uh, she doesn't know what that, like, he's like, is something wrong? And she's like kind of giving a non-committal answer. It's not like she looked at the arches and said like, no, I will not go through Like, you know, she didn't give us some sort of like indication that she absolutely saw yeah. the arches, but we saw yeah. it. And then, but she turns away from it and then goes and basically starts a life with land. But they also aren't fully formed, which was the other like weird thing. And it was, this was like post, mm-hmm. like her telling the white tower to, you know, shove it basically after she finishes the, after she finishes the accepted exam and she's holding land's uh, headband. And then she tells yeah. them shove it and then meets land again. And, is facing away from like the not formed arch. So it's kind of like a this is this is why like I'm bringing in theories from the books is to like explain what happened and and mm-hmm. fill it out because it's like they were really unclear with it, I think. But I'm also like I would be a little bit I there is a, also a sort of possible explanation to go down here where like and this goes back to I think BJ your explanation or theory about why that first moment in the third arch is weird. Um, Which is that, like, at what point in where we were with Nynaeve in the third arch, at what point would her greatest fear have come forward then, right? Like, it felt like... I think we got a scene jump, and I think it was Rand, or not Rand, Lan is supposed to be dead, and that's why she's holding his headband and has, like, blood all over her. Yeah, so that's why I said that I thought that it was a fight between her becoming a red or losing Lan. Right, but that's yeah, the, no, it, what yeah. the arch was trying to figure out. Yeah, right? oh, yeah. well, I, I'm talking about, like, when she sees Lan again, like, why would the arches have let her go that far? And she, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, like, why there, is There's she not a specific on? fear there in my mind and in my reading. I mean, or my watching, I guess. Specific what? Fear. Oh, in in which in which one? In the third one, when the arch half forms again, when she's reuniting with Lan. Oh, I th- I think that's again. That's why I I'm bringing this like book stuff in because I think it's supposed to be like there was sort of a malfunction, 
because we're in the she's already gone through her accepted and spit back out but that's in like the the whole scene and so and again that's sort of why it's past present and future so because it can't be future if it's right around the you know accepted test time so i i I think that's where yeah i'm I'm, so i think i think we're saying the same i think we're sort of saying the same thing i'm offering as an explanation that the fact that that it seems to me like the arch was sort of like checking in on her yeah and was like oh wait this is not actually like we have we i don't know what your fear is we're still trying to find out it, you haven't gotten there yet. I'm trying to figure out a reason why that arch would glitch at that moment. Hey, Sarah, I have a crossover yeah. for you. Hmm. The sorting hat is a terra angriol. Oh, it absolutely is. <laughs> so I was totally thinking about that. When <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that first moment in the third in the third arch is Harry under the sorting hat with the sorting hat trying to figure out what the hell slithering. he's supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, like. As somebody who does, I, I, I just watching the show and watching it fairly intently, like I, I drew a parallel to Tolkien and like how when Gandalf died, Iluvatar was basically like, hmm, that wasn't really part of the plan. We're going to send him back. He's not done yet. Like kind of like just God stepping in and checking the system and saying, we are, th- that, that wasn't supposed to happen. This person has a greater purpose. Go back out. With Nynaeve, I felt like what I'm seeing in the show is the pattern saying, no, she can't die. Like, yes, I know she saw the arch once and she didn't choose to go back through it. That normally would leave somebody in this suspended dream state. They would die. They would not come back. But Nynaeve is too important to the pattern. She's going to get multiple chances at this. That's what it Mm. felt like for me. I like it. Yeah. Um, Okay. All right. So I think we covered that. And then we, we jumped to... Um, well, we we didn't get Leandrin getting angry and breaking a pot. That was that was kind of cool. She, she thought she yeah, killed my wife. Um, one <laughs> of the, the big is. themes in the books is how uh, reserved, calm, and collected the Aes Sedai always are. Um, and the show is just like, nah, it, it, we're just gonna have them show their emotions. And to be fair, like I think it does. It you know it brings forth the things that are in people's heads. And they kind of had to do it, but it's it's still a little jarring. I the last thing I want to say about this initial scene with the arches is that the Aes Sedai, when talking about what they do and don't know about the arches and what happens in the arches, they are sketchy as hell when they are talking about this. They For go sure. back and forth on <laughs> what they like, what they're they really saying are. about yeah. them. Again and again, and it is maddening. I'm not going through there. You guys, you guys don't even seem to know what it is. I know they are. <laughs> they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. The one that really got me is like, and I don't have that. I don't have the exact language in front of me, but at the very beginning, before Nynaeve goes through the first one, somebody tells her that like what she sees in the arches is her is her property which they say a couple of other times and what she chooses to share or not is up to her and then as soon as she comes out and starts sharing they're like oh we don't really want to hear this don't burden us with your fears it's like you just you literally just said yeah we're allowed to say whatever we want about our stuff anyway i found it deeply frustrating yeah that was that was leandrin by the way who said don't 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 burden us with your well, I'm that's, not sure that everyone. Did. I I think somebody else said something similar to it another time when she started trying to talk about it. Like we don't want to hear this. 
Okay, all right. So then we cut to Lyal, Perrin, Iktar, and Uno, who are now prisoners of the Shinshin. Shinshin? Shanshin. Shanshin? Shanshin? Shinshin. Shanshin. Shanshin. The Shanshin. And one of the channelers is brought before them. Man, the, the channelers for the Shanshin are rough to see. The It looks like almost like a gag in their mouth. Yeah. They, they, while powerful, mm-hmm. they seem like enslaved, you know, like a, a, a comparison to some comparison, comparing this to all sort of fantasy worlds. It, they kind of feel like inquisitors in the Star Wars universe where like the Emperor and Palpat, uh, Emperor Palpatine and like Vader found force users and like made some mummified version of a human to wield the force like with them as an instrument yep. but they didn't have real agency mm-hmm. like they weren't real Sith they weren't real characters that's what these people feel like when they come around that, although they do wreck shit that's a good feel um, Yeah, it so gets worse it, it, there's a lady on a large dais we learned her name is Seroth and uh, she basically is like hey everybody y'all need to, y'all need to do the oath Say your oath to me. Uno's like, fuck that. And then they, she jams his head through a spike. Uh, no more Uno. He dies. She's all about. I will say, like, I was actually surprised at my reaction to this scene of, of Uno being slammed on the spike. I'm a pretty, I would say, I don't mind gore. I'm, you know, fine with seeing death on TV shows, etc. But this was kind of a bit of a, like, ooh, ooh, I... I don't like seeing his mouth split open. It was really rough. It was it's like a, yeah, pretty it's graphic. Like a fantasy curb stop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Well, it was enough to get make Igtar say, our pride is not worth more than our lives. They all bow. Noticeably, Perrin bows last. I didn't feel like Perrin was bowing last because he's so tough. I felt like he was just sort of slow and confused. confused yeah. <laughs> he well, did you notice he was looking at? Um, no, I did not. Who was he looking at? He was looking up at the, you know, fancy thing. Um, so he was looking at the right-hand man, or maybe left-hand man, actually, um, of Saroth. Ishamiel? Indeed. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. We got to Loghain. He's in the courtyard. He talks to Rand. And basically, uh, he's like, he's kind of susses out that Rand wanted to be around him. And he explains that he remembers him because when he was being paraded through the streets of Tarvalon, he looked up at Rand and saw his glow. He calls it a glow. I, and if you go back to season one, very much there is a there is a moment where Loghain is being paraded through the streets and he looks up and sees Rand and he does stare at him for a long period. We covered it on this podcast that mm-hmm. he did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and here he explains that that's because he was able to see the glow and the glow is bigger in Rand than he's ever seen before. Of course he is. He's the dragon. He's fucking awesome. Uh, and then he puts in his wine order. And that, But that's when also in the first season, and Loghain explains it here, that's where Loghain started laughing so maniacally in the streets um, and everybody in his cage as he's being paraded through the streets and everybody was like, what the heck? Like, of course he's mad. Obviously he's mad. And Loghain's like, well, actually I just saw you and your glow. Yeah, but he still didn't connect the dots that that was the actual dragon. I mean, he hasn't no. even by the end of this, right? Like, he still thinks he's the dragon. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, but he is kind of like, I think he's a, I think what they're doing with this character is really effective because mm-hmm. they're showing when men channel, they're fucking strong. Like, it's, he was really strong, right? It took a lot of Aes Sedai to deal with him. But the taint is like a real thing. Like, he did go nuts. Like, he's fucking crazy. Like, he's, he's out of it. Yeah. Um, 
so even at the end after he's been gentled he still is like half here half out so yeah. i think it's a really effective thing like i don't know it's like the in-universe cautionary tale for our hero yeah i mean it absolutely brings to the forefront that even if you are cut off from the source as a man that sickness stays with you you don't heal mm-hmm. from that madness so this is permanent yeah scary time not good I will so, say I love Loghain in this scene. It is so much fun to watch this actor. He's really good. He's, He's like really compelling. Um, he has a very specific wine he would like. Yeah, yes, he does. Um, so the one thing I wanted to talk about in this scene, last episode I talked about um, Matt's jacket that he is wearing around and the uh, Sashiko stitching that is like evident on it. He's also wearing that around town. Um, this episode when Celine tells him he needs to get a new jacket. But we, in this, so I want to follow on to that kind of idea um, because in this episode and in this scene, we get a lot of um, close-up images of Loghain. And Loghain is wearing an interesting jacket too, um, which is actually, so it has, uh, it's a sort of indigo color. It's got these um, interesting patterns in it. And it is very reminiscent of um, a particular type of dyeing practice known as shibori, also a traditional Japanese dye practice. Um, so I think that like, in ways that I am not, while I, I talked about, I, I think that the costuming is, is much better this season than last season, and I'm impressed with what they're doing. Indeed. They are doing more with, um, where where is Rand again now? What's it? Karheim. What's the town called? Karheim. Yeah. So right. they're doing they're doing more with that um, specific costuming, I think, than they are with others to really set it apart and give it a flavor of its own. Um, you all had mentioned last <clears throat> last episode that that was a sort of like in the in the books that area is given a sort of like quote unquote far eastern flavor um, that we are we are getting here as well with the specific like deeply embedded. Uh, fabric practices, which I think is is super cool. So we've got Sashiko, we've got Shibori, um, and I'm here for it. I think it's great. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I I don't know the costuming, or I don't I don't have those particular insights, right? But like I can see an uptick in the quality mm-hmm. of the costuming in that things are more interesting, they're more vibrant, uh, they're more distinct between different settings. Not uh, everyone looks quite so clean all the time. Yeah. I also <laughs> think different. that they're making an interesting choice and, uh, or it, I'm going to ascribe it to an interesting choice that I really like, which is in the first season, they, I think that they use costuming and colors to define Ace Sedai. And mm-hmm. like that they're not all mm-hmm. the same. They're very different and there are different aspects to them. And now we're, they're using costuming to define the world. And the world is made up of a lot of different bits and pieces. And we have this sort of shift of scope in terms yes. of like what they're trying to say this season versus last season. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's true. So Rand walks through the town. He hears about the hunt, great hunt for the Horn of Valir. He comes upon Celine. He asks her about the bottle of wine. She's flirty a bit, but she... Eventually says she's going to help him. Uh, Egwene hears about 90's death. Uh, in that, um, quote, death, 
In that, though, she is with Elaine, and Elaine's trying to comfort her, but Egwene pushes her away. Anything on those two scenes? Um, I think one comment I hear had here is, I think it's interesting to think that Celine chose Rand's coat. Yes. And so I just, you know, I think it's kind of fun to look at the coat that he is wearing and know that she chose it. He should be asking her what socks to put on in the morning. He oh, it looks fantastic, right? How, how late he can sleep. He needs to be asking her what he's eating every day. Uh, he needs to be <laughs> strictly on the Celine regimen. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where they go with Rand and his costuming, uh, especially because uh, they're taking it a very different direction uh, than in the books. But like his, his struggle with what he wears is... Is a cons- is a continual thing in the books, and I'm excited to see like how it plays out in the show because mm. you can sort of tell his discomfort with the coat that he's in and the finery that he's in, like when he's just sort of like standing there like a statue, um, and yeah. it it's yeah. like, dude, you're you're sticking out, like you're being for sure weird. <laughs> he is weird, <laughs> kind of a lot, yeah. Uh... <laughs> So we have a scene with Matt and Leandra, and these two are pretty funny. I, I get a kick out of every time Matt like hints like, oh, "Have you finally come around to me being <laughs> the most attractive man?" Like, you know, that sort of thing. I think the the big big thing here is she she releases him basically because she's like, "I've wasted time with you." I think the revelation for me in the scene, maybe other people have pieced this together, is that she was holding him in part because she thought that Matt was what Moraine was after, that Matt was Moraine's quote Moraine's little secret. So it seems like Leandrin got things a little mixed up um, in her read of Moraine's doings and goals and whatever. Anyway, ends up just basically saying you can go. And it's sort of an interesting thing because we know that Moraine told somebody in the Red Aja to deal with Matt. And so probably this could be a false trail that Moraine left. And now Leandrin's kind of like, this is... This well, is something she, else. Is yeah, yeah. She yeah. She's probably frustrated, right? Because there's really nothing to Matt from her perspective. You right. You take that back. <laughs> yeah, it's not much to him. Not much to him from her perspective. I mean, it seems. you're not wrong. I do uh, want. I do really yeah. enjoy Leandra and the way that she is um, shot in this part. She looks positively demented with her little blue eyes shining up and her little clamped lips. It's like whoo. She is. She is not so right now. She was cast mm-hmm. well, I think, because she she does invoke that just the, the look of that actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes you think make you think she's right on the edge. Speaking of being right on the edge, she comes. Uh, 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 she has an interaction with Egwene where she's dropping this ring off, which is I guess a ring that Nynaeve never even wore, but she's dropping it off anyway, right? And into the the fire pit that we saw. From season one, that when an Aes Sedai dies, they take their ring to the fire pit. And the fires of Mount Doom. It's right. Yes, you have to drop it. The fires of Mount Doom. That's <laughs> uh, the only place. What the fires that forged it have to destroy it. <laughs> and so, Egwene comes up, and they kind of have this back and forth. And at some point, at one point, Leandrin kind of walks Egwene right up to the edge. Egwene, though, strong, strong, uh, stiff upper lip kind of deal. Like just tells her, "You have no idea what I'm capable of." And walks out. So these two aren't aren't in great aren't in a great place. Cuts around at some sort of dinner party. Uh, I'm going to quote BJ here. Dude, you are being weird. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Listen, I love that we are getting like an episode of Bridgerton in the middle of in so the middle of this whole thing. Look, Give me more of this. This is why Celine's so great. Look, she's giving him a place to stay. Sure. She's dressing him in interesting things. She's taking him to cool parties. If he needs a very obscure bottle of wine, she can find it. It's it's very helpful to have Celine on your side. Absolutely. One cool thing that happens in this though is we meet a new character named Lady Delane who comes up and Lady Delane has the Ooh, feel is this to Lady Delane? I don't think no. so. I think it's Anavir. Anavir. Dulane is the uh, who the invitation is from. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Let me see. Anavir. You've got it. Yeah. Great. All right. So Anavir. Uh, and she, the cool thing about her is she gives off the vibes of like the lady who has grown up or has lived in this society for a really long time and can give you the immediate read of the room like right away. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of how she presents to Rand. I'd so. I want to pause here because of obvious reasons to everybody but Sarah, which is, Sarah, how do you feel about Anavir? Like, what is your impression mm-hmm. of her and, like, what she's doing there and, like, who she is, etc.? Um, I mean, I think, I like, I think just personally, I, I, she's great. Like, I want to spend more time with her. I want more information from her. I want her at my elbow at these parties, giving me the tea on everybody yeah, around. For sure. Yeah. Um, do I think that she has ulterior motives in doing that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But that's like where we, that's what this party is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and we shouldn't make any bones about that. But like she is, I brought up Bridgerton for a reason. And she is like one of these ladies who is around the deep in the society, but around the edges of it enough that she is willing to take somebody under their wing yeah. uh, and give them at least a version of the inside scoop about them. I'm going to expect a text from you. <laughs> in a little bit yeah, of when, time. When, yeah. when, when you when watch, you watch, the, watch next the next episode. episode. Okay. <laughs> All yeah. right. Um, yeah. So, but in the conversation with Rand, she basically concedes to Rand that the hunt, um, the great hunt for the Horn of Valir is really just a mechanism for the ruling class to weed out the peasants in the city. It's like, hey, go out on this treasure hunt that'll make you really rich or whatever. There is no Horn of Valir, they think, right? That, that's what she thinks. There is mm-hmm. not one. And it's a way to move people out of the city because her explanation is that after the Aiel War, peasants came to the city in droves for safety. Uh, and now it's overcrowded from the ruling class's perspective. And this staggers Rand. He thinks this is just as, I mean, it is <laughs> fucked up, right? He sees it as, as fucked up as it really is. I think this is actually, I really enjoy that they put this in here because I think it shows how innocent Rand still really is. That he didn't yeah. pick up that this could be like a a wild goose chase. Like he's he's like, oh. I know, it even oh, surprises so Celine surprised. that she it surprises know, Celine yeah. that she doesn't. He doesn't right. know, right? Because she like, just laughs on. in his face, and she goes, "Of course, it's not real." The one, Rand, what's silly? Go ahead, Sarah. Rand is a is a freshman who has just gotten to college and has read the first like ten pages of a people's history of the United States and has had his world absolutely <laughs> shattered for him. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and he will not stop talking about it. The other yeah, thing that, right. that yep. I forget sometimes, <laughs> which makes this a little bit weirder, is that. Rand doesn't know the Horn of Valir exists. Oh, yeah. Oh. Nope. Oh, so he actually could be thinking that this is like an... I mean, it, it is still a hoax, but like he could be on the side of thinking the Horn doesn't exist now and has been invented right, purely for these propaganda right. yeah. purposes. And that's that's what I kind of forgot about, which is... Yeah, because I other, didn't like that. It, it is... 
it feels like they didn't actually like I'm not sure whether they they have that that he knows or doesn't and both are Mm -hmm. interesting one is is very like uh political and the other is uh very like interesting that like Ren just doesn't know and he's just like oh like why would they make this up this is this is a weird thing so what I I'm curious like what what will will end up with that yeah mm-hmm. so, so he go ahead I actually Please. I think that they are putting it so that he legitimately doesn't know because I think I I hope the Rand that they're building would be like well but the horn's real like he would just say that <laughs> and be like but but it's real like don't yeah, I saw that yeah I saw it when I was out defeating the dark one and then everything and then would everybody would be <laughs> yeah. like uh, I'm sorry what yeah, that would. Would you break, like to join Loghain in his? Yeah, yeah. Break, right. break, break the whole situation. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> he leaves, or he wants to leave, and uh, he does ask. Like, so she tells him basically. Celine tells him basically, like everybody in this town has ulterior motives. It's all political, and he's like, "Well, what's your ulterior motive for being with me?" And she goes, "Don't ask questions you know the answer to." Again, only trying to quote things I feel like is important. Uh, so then he takes off, uh, but she does give him the wine that he needs, and so Rand takes the wine. And gives it to Loghain. He, he seems to, to have sprinted to... Went over to this, Loghain yeah. and gave it to Loghain. And he has a conversation with Loghain where it feels like Loghain is not all there. He kind of pours the he pours the wine into one cup, but then lets it overflow and basically he's, waste three quarters of the wine or whatever. There's only one cup left by the time he's done. Doing this metaphor about Rand is power. Like, yeah, and Rand is like, you're, you're fucking nuts. He... Logan says there is no madness. It's just something Aes Sedai used. Aes Sedai used to castrate men. He yells that only the dragon can defeat the dark one. And Rand says very definitively, you are not the dragon. Logan, this is what Bri and I were talking about earlier. Logan says, no, the blood of Louis Theramon uh, runs in my veins. Like, I, I, I am the dragon. And Rand just shakes his head, says it was a mistake, overpowers him at one point, tells Logan that he's sick and leaves. Yep. Anything on that? Uh, do we like Rand's Loghain interactions? Because I, I think that they're like worth the price of admission. I fucking love it. Yeah. I I have a feeling that uh, Loghain is going to be taking uh, the partial place of another character in the show. And I think that this might be a very interesting long-term relationship that we have, which I think mm. is going to be a very good choice for the show. I honestly don't know if they had made that choice in season one, but I think they might have been like, holy shit, the actor for Logan is awesome. Yeah. Let's, Let's keep, keep him, him on. Around. <laughs> uh, we'll tighten up, you know, this storyline and just run with it. So we Which think is very that... much like what Game of Thrones did. They, they did a lot of moving storylines to Cersei because Lena Headley was so good. Mm-hmm. That they ended up, and they weren't necessarily planning at the onset of the series. They just like kind of, oh, well, we, we've got something here. Let's give this actor as much as we can give him. So I actually have something that just popped in my head about this, about how this interaction actually even emphasizes the concern that we should feel for Rand or for men that can channel is not just, oh, they go mad and it stays even if you are um, cut off from the one power. Also, you legitimately think that you are sane. Like, yeah. you're just so you're, like, no, no, like, I very much am saying, and Brand is like, you yeah. are mad as a, match, as a mad hatter. It's the test of a really insane person. Do they think they're insane? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you were going to say something? Um, no, I was just going to say that, like, given that theory about Loghain being conflated with another character to produce a long-term, longer-term relationship between Loghain and Rand, so we are 
are we assuming then, and maybe this has already happened in the episodes that you have watched that I have not, but that Loghain's prophecy, threat, promise about Rand getting him out of there, out of this facility, is going to come true? Hmm, good question. Um, I would have I would have bet that Rand does not help him get out. Okay. That was that was kind of what my work, especially after this conversation, because mm-hmm. Rand was so put off by him. Um, I think that there still can be some training that goes on. Like he might, Logan might help him a little bit, but I never, I, I, I felt like we left these two with Rand being like, I can't let that fucking guy out of here. <laughs> He's insane. Um, I don't know what you guys thought. Yeah. yeah I, that sounds reasonable. I think with his reference to uh, Luz Theron, that Rand was just like, this is wild and I need to like get away from it. Like, I don't, have we had any of, like I, I, we also don't have a lot of what's gone on in Rand's head since he's been channeling. And so yeah. I feel like that might be feeding into some of what's going on. And, you know, I wonder, I hope they don't wait to the end of the season, but I wonder if they're going to wait till like the end end of the season to address that. Yeah, I am very interested in it. I mean, it once, I mean, I'm not going to hide it. Like as soon as, like I'm, I'm very much like when I watch fantasy, uh, over on the Mangum Talk Star Wars podcast, uh, the guys joke, make fun of me about this all the time. I'm very hierarchical. Like I'm like, uh, as soon as someone is has like the, the power of the story or is the chosen one of the stories, like I only give a shit. Like, what is Luke Skywalker doing? I don't give a fuck about Han Solo or nobody else. Like, I just want the chosen one. Like, since Rand, I know, has you're be- maddening. In since this Rand way. has become the dragon, I don't care about most of these other characters. Like, I, I, mean, I mean, Nynaeve a little bit because she's really powerful, but like, I'm basically in it for Rand's story at this point. So there is a book that is almost universally frustrating to readers that read along when they came out because it's like a 1200 page book that uh brand doesn't appear for like 800 900 pages table flipping it's like i have yeah. i flip a table i have just gotten lee started on reading uh one of the sarah j moss series throne of glass the or the throne of glass series and it's a big series mm-hmm. uh and you are following characters and i think maybe in the fifth or sixth book uh it just follows entirely different characters for the entire book like you go to a different continent you follow side characters for a book yeah uh, yeah, I couldn't handle it. I'm going I'm to struggle with that when I get there. I, I don't like that. But yeah, I, I, I'm very much just like locked in on what, what he's doing. And that's, so there's so scenes like this I struggle with, right? We have Matt who walks through the tower, sees Egwene. She's crying. He does not go to her. He ends up getting with men and him and men escape. Well, not really escape. They leave. I mean, I think Leandrin knows they leave. It seemed to be orchestrated. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Ming goes and talks to Leandrin and yeah. gets sketchy. That yeah. was a very sketchy conversation. Speaking of sketchy conversations, we have Perrin and Isa- Ashamiel, which is fucking real strange. Uh, Ashamiel seems to know that there is something special about Perrin, and I posit that it is more than he's a wolf guy. Like, I don't think, like, it doesn't seem to me that being a wolf guy like Perrin is, is enough to register on the radar of Ashamiel. Like, that doesn't jive with me. So I'm struggling with what he why he's so interested in Perrin it makes me I don't know it almost gives like character credibility because like if Shamael is like taking his time to like <laughs> focus on Perrin I'm like there's got to be something about Perrin that I'm interested in I mean it, the, it's the just the are, showrunners trying to keep you interested in people who aren't the dragon reborn Terry. Well, it's working <laughs> do you uh, by any chance you. remember anything from last season 
with Perrin and him possibly being particularly interesting, other than the wolf thing? Uh, no, not really. Okay. Um, the wolf thing. Uh, well, I mean, if they, if it happened last season, then you should tell me. Like, uh, <laughs> don't don't tease things that have already happened. <laughs> don't yeah. carry the lead. Um, so it was a, a quick scene with uh, Perrin and Rand in the bar that Min works at, and they're both surrounded by light. Okay, and both surrounded. By it light. was okay. like them being together and like chatting with each other that there are these like sparks of light, uh, like surrounding both of them. And I don't remember if, like, Rand was more highlighted or less highlighted, but, like, that was, uh, I think, our first non-like weird iris, like, yellow irises pop yeah. that we got of Para. Okay. Was that what Min could see in that? Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I do. Um, so I'm not sure. I, I, the, the jokes are flowing on uh, Wheel of Time Twitter uh, about Perrin being boring, about I don't give a fuck about Perrin, like... It's all over the place on the internet that this character is not in- interesting. I mean, that, I, I that understand might be book readers. Where they're coming, I understand where they're coming <laughs> from. But when he when Ashamayelf does such a, a like intense focus on this one character, mm-hmm. and goes, I will be watching your progress. Like, he's like, I'm going to be watching you. Like, that makes me think, all right, well, I got to pay attention to Perrin now. Um, the other thing worked, that... The scene worked for me, is what I'm saying. The other thing that he said, and we have to remember what Ashamayelf's names are, that, you know, the more you become like a wolf the closer you get to me mm-hmm. i think it's gonna be it's a really good way of doing what they what actually wasn't done that well in the books which mm-hmm. is why perrin is uncomfortable with his wolf power and maybe you know we'll see what he does and comes around to it but like i feel like this is a good reason for him to be like ah i don't know about this wolf thing right yeah, yeah, and to clue the audience into that, too. Yeah. And Shamayel does say to him at one point, this is a quote that I feel like might be important, he says, show it to me, I want to meet the monster. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like might be an important quote. Anyway, the caravan gets attacked by wolves. Shout out that he always has wolves that will just like just show up and break his ass out of whatever he's gotten himself <laughs> into. I love that. And then uh, our guy, um, Elias, comes in and, and breaks him out. All right, anything else on that scene? Nope, all good. Matt Min pack during that sequence. Min takes off, goes to. Uh, That's right, Leandrin. See, Le- see Leandrin, and yeah. Leandrin basically confirms in that scene with Min that she is sending Min off with Matt on some sort of something. Mm-hmm. Leandrin has orchestrated this thing basically. That's all I got there. Yep. All right, Celine and Rand, the two best characters in the show. Uh, she comes up and grabs him around the neck and tells him, "If you leave me like that again, I'll kill you." She's just the best. I mean, she's so sweet. Uh, they start um, hooking up, but she tells him to keep his jacket on. Um, and then she says, as they start to hook up, that's it. Show me. Show me as he starts to channel. And then she says, let go. I'm not afraid of you. And then he continues to channel. My first time watching this, I questioned if she was there because they, but when he's sort of done, she's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And the whole place is on fire. Um, but then my second watching of it, I thought that could be a crit read, but they also could have just finished and she yeah. could have gotten up and done something. There was something. a little bit of a time right. jump. But in any case, he's hooking up with her and he's losing the ability to hold back the channeling while he's in this sort of intense state with her. So I think it, you know, this, what we're getting a lot of is like Rand's ability to quote control or not control or let go of his power 
is like a constant battle for him and and she seemed to be at least at the start of the scene to me uh, and I'll stop and let you you all weigh in what you think she seemed to be egging him on she seemed to be saying show me show me let go of it let go of it and he did and the whole fucking place caught on fire yeah so it's interesting Lee I actually when I watched it the second time I went the opposite way of you so I thought that it was completely real the first time and on the second watch through which did come after watching the later episodes I thought it was a dream right yeah I, 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 I still don't know. Even after watching later episodes, I still don't know if she was there or not. Wait. Would you? What did you think, Sarah? If she was there or the fire part was the dream? No, no. That if she the part was actually, where she was there, if that was the dream. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, things really do shot. seem to be on fire by the time we leave. Right. Yeah, he, right. He's right. Certainly... Like he's out in the village. I'm real yeah, confident. things are very clearly burning. Yes, yeah. I am very <laughs> confident that that is real. Yes. I guess the the question, BJ, is when they when they have sex, are they having yeah. sex in real life yeah. or in Brian's dream? And I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah, I I'm not sure. The thing that I noticed, and I I was just trying to think logistically about this, is when Rand is delivering the wine to Loghain, he has put on not even his old jacket. He has put on his like whatever uniform jacket mm-hmm. he wears in yeah. the facility, right? But then when he gets back to the hut, he's back in his fancy jacket. Yeah. And that was a little confusing to me because I wasn't sure that he really would have been in real life. She might have made him put it on. Yeah, but that he wouldn't have been, like, running through Mm -hmm. town in that level of finery. Sure. So the the story I have crafted to fit this, if it's not a dream with uh, Celine, is that he has a work locker. Yeah. He goes directly from the party with his fancy coat to work, yeah. changes into work. his work yeah. clothes, yeah. talks to Loghain, leaves, changes back to the only other thing because... Which are the fancy clothes, yeah. He has to leave his work clothes at work. Right. And, and then shows up in a fa- fancy clothes because that's all he has. Yeah, I think that I think that totally works. It's just a little jarring when he comes in different things. Like I'm, I would be on, and this is such a small point. It probably doesn't even matter. But like, if he's really sprinting to give this wine to Loghain, and it's the middle of the night, why did he bother changing into his uniform in the first place? Maybe he's a creature of habit. Stickler for the rules, or yeah. like, well, they're they're. I guess I always I imagine that there're always people watching like at the hospital. So like yeah. he wouldn't have just been let in unless he wanted to play the lord persona. The other thing is like how's Logan going to react? Yeah. Well, we also have like she says to him keep the jacket on. Like she yeah. finds the jacket attractive. Yeah. So he very easily could have gotten to the workplace, changed his jacket, put the work jacket on. Kept the work jacket on when he went back home. Just yeah. had just had yeah. his fancy jacket slung over his arm. As soon as he walks in the door, Celine goes, "Nah, nah, nah. Put the <laughs> put the sexy jacket on first, and then she made him do it. Yeah, like that could have worked because she gives evidence that she wanted him in it. Yeah. So I don't know. There's a couple explanations yeah. there, but uh, I think we just are left not knowing. We know he did channel and burn down the dam. Hotel. Yes, that did but happen. did that happen as part of a dream? Exactly. Or, right. Uh, yeah. And I will point out that uh, when the 
the whole hotel burns down. Celine's mm-hmm. entire hotel burns down, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Her whole business, the first thing out of her mouth, looks at Rand and says, are you okay? Yeah. Just want to point that out. So heartwarming. Cut to Egwene channeling on the arch. She's trying to figure out a way to open the arches, I think, to try to get mm-hmm. um, Nynaeve back. Yeah, and it's not working. In comes a character that is really moving up my character power rankings very fast, Elaine. I like her a lot. And basically Elaine's like, look, you're going you're gonna to get in trouble doing this. And she's like, I don't care. And she's like, well, of course you do. Nynaeve basically came here and then gave her life in service of you so that you can do this thing. Don't fucking throw it away just because you're upset and grieving. Which is a great fucking point. Like, I like Elaine. She seems reasonable. Yeah. But she is also willing to spend the night with her there. She's going to go get some blankets. They're going to have a very uncomfortable night. That is the middle ground she is willing to give Egwene. Yeah, I think it's a nice thing to do. Yes. She was like, all right, we could stay here while you grieve, basically. Because yep. no, nobody thought Nynaeve was coming back through the arches. I think she was thinking that it would help Egwene Being grieve. Being in that maybe. space. Yeah. Right, exactly. I think this is one of the things that the show is benefiting of aging the characters up because uh, Elaine is often a little insufferable in the books. Uh, and a lot of that is what? easily attributable to she's young, she's the you know heir apparent princess mm-hmm. and has you know had her whims catered to for a really long time, whereas now she's a bit more of an adult and has that adult gravitas of what you want from nobility. And I yeah. hope they keep it because I think it makes her a much more fun character to root for and be around. I think there's always something to the trope of you you meet the royalty, you meet the aristocracy, the person who was who was given everything, and you start with this person must suck, and then they walk you back. Yeah. They walk you back into mm-hmm. thinking, oh, ha- hold on, I got this person wrong. They're actually good-hearted whatever and like the twist on it here is that like she's she's part of the reason she's so cool is because she's the daughter heir and she's been isolated and she hasn't had friends she hasn't had human interactions and she values that stuff so intensely yeah right um i think she's exactly what Egwene needs this show what i'm seeing on the screen it seems like she's exactly what Egwene needs because she's she's much more grounded than Egwene is like Egwene runs so hot she'll just fly hot and start yelling about stuff and Elaine like this scene's a perfect example Elaine like logics her through it mm-hmm. and goes wait a second you're upset you're grieving your friend who came here gave her life in service of you so that you can be an Aes Sedai and now you're going to give up being an Aes Sedai just because you're upset she died mm-hmm. none of this makes any sense how about we have a slumber party seems to work yep, yep. then we cut to Egwene uh, see, either not dead or in another dimension or both not sure Nynaeve oh yeah Nynaeve um, and Perrin is there. And Matt comes in looking fantastic. Gotta say. Matt, Matt yeah. cleans up well. Uh, we see Nynaeve's daughter. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's happy. Lan is there. Presumably it's Nynaeve and Lan's daughter. And um, Honey cakes are being made. Honey it's cakes are being made. A true delight. It's she gets a letter. Homie. Matt likes honey cakes. <laughs> he does. Uh, but the daughter's had enough. She's had enough. No more. Can't have any more. It doesn't surprise me that Nynaeve is like, no, you can't have any more. Yeah. <laughs> Her strict mother. Uh, we, discipline. It's we do discipline. see that she gets a letter from it. So this is like her kind of like life is perfect sort of thing. And in it, Egwene is an Aes Sedai. She's a green and she's out there fighting the Trollocs. That's the letter that she got from, from Egwene in this dream sequence. Yeah. can ask her if she regrets leaving the tower. Um, 
And then we see a banging at the door. Boom, trollic attack. And then everybody's killed. Except the daughter. Daughter comes up to her, and as she's talking to the daughter, we kind of see the arches again, but I don't know if... Uh, let me ask all three of you. Like, did it seem like the arches were glitching again in the second sequence? Because it didn't seem as... It seemed... I, see, I feel like what we saw in this final sequence was the exact thing we saw when in the previous sequence where we were all saying the arches were glitching out. It wasn't like the first two where it was very clear to me. It seemed right. like it was also yeah. glitching out in this sequence too. It it seemed to me like it was more formed. Like it was it wasn't as light, it wasn't as like iffy and then it solidified. So I actually I wonder if the intent here because naive channels and then the arches appear or the arch appears. Yes. Yes. I I think this also may be an indication of Nynaeve is so strong she is able to bend the arches to her will and channel through them or channel in spite of them maybe and force the way out to appear. I am so glad you brought this up Brie. I have that in my notes as a question to ask about like is that what is that possibly what we're seeing here is that because we were told very firmly that she would not have access to the one power when she was in the arches she obviously does here and very shortly thereafter the arch appears for a second 1.5 whatever we're saying but she doesn't have access to the one power in the second sequence when she tries to cure Tam and so this one is different in some way yeah, yeah, she, and but, you know, it, but it, that, that does kind of align with Nynaeve, though, right? Like because like when she normally tries to channel, she struggles, but when she, she gets upset get or emotional, yeah. she can. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird. They, I think they did weird things in this scene because she didn't have to confront the fear that I was expecting, and so like I, I, I would like to. I like the theory that. Her embracing the source is kind of like overpowering what the arches are and breaking the test. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, like, what fear was it testing? That, you know, people are going to die? I mean, leaving is not a struggle for her when she's at least thinking that she's able to take her daughter with her. So it's kind yeah. of like, a what what's she facing? And so mm-hmm. I'd rather go with she broke it rather than... The yeah. script writers broke it. I really, I, I, I am hopeful, and that is a, the way in which I'm to, choosing to interpret this, and yeah. that's why I brought it up, um, because you see the Trollocs in the background, and so she's choosing the arch as a place of safety instead of a, mm-hmm. I'm choosing the arch because I'm choosing the tower over everything else. Yeah. And it, I, it seems that way because of how she was interacting with her daughter to take her daughter through the arches as well. It seemed like... An escape, yeah. not a. I am choosing to go back to this thing. And yeah. I'm going to continue. I think. I mean that that all works. I don't. I just don't think we know. Um, but I. I also think like I, I like what I stated earlier, which was that she went through the third arch and she had the ability to go back. She didn't. Normally that would kill you, but it's the pattern, changing the weave, changing mm-hmm. the rules, basically on the fly for this person that's so integral to the pattern going forward that like is so necessary and what is planned that it would it just simply would not allow her to stay in this place, right? It would continue to even if she didn't go through this particular time if she stayed, it was going to continue 
pushing and forcing her to the arch to get her out of there because of how important she was. I don't know. Anyway, that's I think that's a really neat read, Lee, and I definitely would not have thought of that. Um, so thank you for bringing it up because I like it. Yeah, uh, I don't know. In any case, we end with, uh, thank you, yeah, um, we end with Nynaeve running through the arches, daughter not in her arms. Not She's there. just holding nothing. She has some blood on her, though, and Egwene and Elaine wake up, and okay, woo, there she is. Nynaeve's alive. End of episode. Can I ask, uh, this might be a spoilery question um, for people who haven't watched the next episode, as I haven't, but I just want like one very specific piece of information mm-hmm. that I would, if it happens, it should happen early in the next episode. Is there any treatment of, like, does anybody discuss the fact that Nynaeve must have experienced six or seven years worth of time while she was in the final arch and come out like three days later? Because that's going to fuck you up. Hand wave. Hand yeah. Wave. We hand wave these okay. types of All things right. around here. Um, so. Okay. Because I would have a lot of questions about that. And yeah. I would like a very deep philosophical round here, metaphysical discussion. Round here that. we keep the plot moving. <laughs> so. We keep the plot moving around Got here. it. I think. the So the explanation in book that, that you get is a couple fold. One. Uh, time moves weird in alternate universes. Sure. Um, and basically you get that a whole bunch of Aes Sedai have gotten lost in that, like studying this and, and it's an, uh, like intense philosophical debate. Uh, mm-hmm. there's intense debate about the arches. Like do, you know, do the people that don't come back through the arches, are they dead or are they just living a different life? Because we know we, mm-hmm. we are seeing different lives, you know, do you fault them for taking a different life? Or is it a, I hope they're happy there because they clearly weren't going to succeed here. Um, there is, you know, again, it's a book. You can spend a lot more time talking and thinking yeah, about these things. Yeah. Um, there are, like, little bits that we actually get in the books that are sort of, I, I almost want to say Silmarillion-like, where it's just a, these are weird things that that Sedai used to do at different times in history and why they would do it and what they can do to like mess with the universe and uh you know good reasons for it or bad reasons for it and it's like oh that's weird and interesting i don't think we're going to get it in the show but Mm -hmm. um those i think are really fun they're short enough usually that it's like a fun aside rather than like why are we being proselytized about weird philosophy of alternate universes Um, yeah but but I think it's it's cut out for uh, for decent reason, and I wonder if it's going to come up later uh, because I think this is not the last time we're going to be in alternate space, uh, kind Got of it. like the ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we'll see we'll see what we do as I think more uh, characters interact with other places. Cool. Got I'll it. I'll tell you something that's working for me is that like. So the one Forsaken we've got, Ashamayel, he, like, it is so, like, when he's on screen, I am, I have sea legs. Like, I don't know. It seems to me in this episode that Perrin, he was in the coach with Perrin. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and he actually in physical form is next to... Maybe. Yeah. Seraph. Yeah, Yeah, that lady. But in previous episodes, we've seen him in and out of dreams. We've seen him in a area that you guys referred to as some sort of like dream world. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Ashamiel's so we, all over the board that when he shows up, I am, I am, I have trouble understanding what's going on in a good way. Like it, it it's not, it, it hasn't bordered into like absurd or I feel like they're just using it as a crutch, like I referenced earlier. It's just that I, his powers are so vast that I don't have a handle on him yet. So when he shows up on screen, I find myself asking a lot of questions. I think that Yeah, they're... and I was thinking today, watching it again, that like we only see him interact both in the cart and when he's on the sort of litter. We only see him actually interact with Perrin in some way. He doesn't interact with Lady... Seroth. Seroth. No. Or any of her functionaries. Hi, Lady Seroth of the Blood. You shall refer to her as such. Otherwise, you might get spiked. <laughs> I I told Lee today that I am I am very much considering cosplaying uh, Lady Seroth at the next Dragon Con because whoa yeah she's got some identifying features yeah, yeah. Uh, okay do, do we want to go to uh, uh, a scene before that uh, are we sure that Perrin was awake and one of the reasons that I ask that is we see the man in the mask that we saw in season one when in his dreams mm-hmm. in his dreams. No, I am not sure he was awake, but I no. think he was, but I'm not sure. Yeah, and so that that's where I feel like we're leaning into some cool horror aspects that really are in the books that, you know, I are brought forward in, are dealt with in different ways. Um, and I think that a good question is, if you're interacting with one of the Forsaken, what's really going on? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it seems to be what I'll struggle with when he's, he shows up. And um, I don't know, his scenes work for me. And I'm very, very interested in getting some rules on paper about his power. And hopefully we're able to do that in later seasons where I get a real, I get my arms around exactly mm-hmm. what he's capable of. Yeah. Uh, all right, best scene, best line. Do we want some nominees? Yeah, are we, uh, Lena, do we, have we come down on, are we doing best scene or best line or are we just throwing some stuff out there? I think it's either one, right? Okay. Because yeah. it can be it can be either one. Um, okay. So uh, basically, like what part of the show uh, stuck out to you? So uh, I'll nominate. Um, actually, no, I don't want to nominate first. BJ, you nominate. You go. Okay. Uh, I have a couple that are just like I think really show important. One is the Shanshan saying "swear, uh, obey, wait, and serve." Is just mm-hmm. it's iconic. It's it's presented in a manner where, like, you know that's a thing. Um, Obey, wait, and serve, right? Yeah. Wait, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, I, what are we awaiting? Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to leave uh, the most powerful woman thing to somebody else because I'm going to go with Matt's I don't know where to go. And I I like it so much because it's... We we see inside Matt's head more in this season than we have in the past, and I feel like this is really starting to peek in to Matt being uncomfortable with himself mm-hmm. and the damages of maybe the dagger, imprisonment, and just who he is as a person. Um, and I like Min sort of helps break him out of that, but like, where's that gonna go? And so I like seeing. Uh, behind the curtain with the characters. I think actually that's a really good point about Matt. I think it is a difficult line to tread for a show of not allowing him to seem irritatingly, maybe almost weak versus Mm -hmm. 
I'm totally fine. I'm going to go off and do my own thing. And so he treads that line, I think, well. And you can really sense that, like, he's like, I just, like, I am lost. I don't know what I, like, what's the point of being free? Like, I don't really know what to do with this. Sure. And mm-hmm. I think you can really, you know, empathize with him in that in that time. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. Um, do you have any more, BJ? No, I'm going to. I'll end there. Uh, Sarah. So I'm going to, I usually go with a best line for me, but I am going to, I have a best scene and this is like really based on what scene did I personally enjoy the most. And for me, it's the party scene um, with Rand and Celine. And it's partially because like, I think it was just a really well done, interesting scene, like interesting, visually interesting scene to watch. But I also loved that moment of broadening out the world because we have not gotten um, that sort of more politically motivated uh, class-based scene before. Um, and so I thought that the the visual politics of it, the introduction to our new girl whose name I've forgotten. Um, <laughs> Anavir? Yes. Uh, the interesting ways in which Rand and Celine's personalities changed and their relationship with each other changed as they were triangulated by new and different um, social forces that they had not interacted with before mm-hmm. um, was really well done. So do I think that it's necessarily like the most important or impactful scene? No, but I did find it the most interesting and I also thought it was the most um novel scene that we that we got this episode yeah um and i think this is another one that i really like because we see behind rand's mask a little bit Mm -hmm. of like i'm uncomfortable i don't know what's going on in contrast to celine's just like whatever bitches yeah i know what i'm doing here i'm supposed to be here i know what's going on i love the point at which she literally says to rand but we're having fun and Rand is very clearly not having fun. Yeah, she, yeah. she sticks yeah. her arms out. She's got a drink in one We're hand. We're having fun. We're having a good time. Come on. Yeah, I, I, for me, I think I'm going to go with a couple scenes that kind of like parallel. We've gotten, I feel like two maybe this episode, but we've also gotten very similar scenes with Nynaeve and the Aes Sedai before. So that is, Ashamayel says to Perrin, I want to see it. Show me the monster. Show me the monster, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Celine says to Rand, Yep. Um, I'm not, show me your power. I'm not scared of you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've gotten the Aes Sedai many times saying to Nynaeve, like, show me your power. Like, let, let's let, you know, trying to elicit the power from her. So we've got like a bunch of different of our main characters that it seems to be like they have power within them innate power within them, which gets referenced, I guess, earlier in the season yeah. when um, the Aes Sedai are talking and they say, why, are, why do you think the pattern is spitting out all these powerful people, yep. right? Yeah. Like the pattern is telling us we need help. And then all along the way, our characters are getting told like, release, let it go, show us your power. And it seems like we're getting these scenes because... That's the transition state we're in, right? The transitionary mm-hmm. state we're in, right? Is that we have these characters, we've established that they're powerful, and now we are in the process of having them learn to release their power, display their power, become more powerful. Yep. Um, and I like the contrast as, as we go through season two, that that seems to be what we're on the journey to do, is to realize the potential of all these characters. I like I that. That's a great point. All right, dear. All right. Um, 
So I think I am, I'm going to do the most powerful woman because it is a solid line from Leandrin. <laughs> um, you know, during her interaction with Matt. Oh, that one? Uh, wait, no. Egwene? With Egwene, sorry. Okay. Um, where, you know, she basically is like, look, it's not always the most powerful women that write history. It's the ones that survive. Um, and it's just like such a neat line because I think it's really going to underscore some of the things that, that Egwene is set up for. Um, and it also shows Leandrin's like drive to just scrabble her way through whatever. And she's always going to try to come out on top. And, and it's an interesting, I, I love that line. And it's an interesting little twist on the, you know, the cliche of the winners write the history books, right? right? Because this is not, it's not the winners. It's the survivors. It's who's left. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, What's your decision? I think I have to go, though, with Lee, or no, sorry, with Sarah's. We're going to do a little flip here. Um, with the Carhine introduction of the nobility, because mm-hmm. I really do enjoy that scene. And I think mm-hmm. Rand looks yeah, like good. a cat on hot tin roof, like he's just jumpy and doesn't know what to do with this invite that he's handed. And Celine is just like, this is awesome. <laughs> um, and I just, I really do enjoy that. So that, I think, I think that takes the cake. And the okay. thing that you didn't get, Sarah, or, yes. or show watchers won't get, is this is... I think this is a good straddle of book nod and doing something different. Mm, okay. uh, Rand burning an invitation is... Iconic. Yeah, is an iconic oh, scene in the books. Okay. Uh, it happens in a very different context and everything else. Um, and we we get a lot of different things from it. But this also just like shows us a different chunk of the world, which I really like. So yeah. very cool. Yeah. Uh, Winners and losers. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like at some point we're going to have to say that Egwene's not a loser. Um, I don't know that that's this episode. <laughs> Today yeah, is not, not this day. Not <laughs> uh, at some point in Harry Potter, we decided that like certain people couldn't just always be winners and losers. Uh, this might have to happen <laughs> at some point in this uh, I mean, podcast Egwene series. Egwene has but... some rough times ahead of her i think she deserves to not lose at least once yeah let's let's remove like she didn't have a great episode yeah but i think she didn't have her worst episode though but she also was just mourning a friend she was coming from and her friend came back yeah yeah it's kind of tough to say she's a loser because she mourned her friend so like right i think we can give her a pass maybe Mm -hmm. on on being the loser yeah certainly not the winner yes um at some point, again, we'll see what they do with the character, but Elaine, like, just is as solid a character as, as maybe we have. She's probably not the one that I like following the most, but, like, she is surprisingly a pillar of the show for me. She's fantastic. I, I like, like whenever up, she's in yeah. a scene. Yeah. She's up there yeah. up there for winter. I mean, hard not to give winner of the episode to Nynaeve, who gets through the arches. Yeah. Um I mean, she's by the end of the episode, she's out of the arches, which means she's jumped a level in the Aes Sedai training hierarchy thing. Mm-hmm. So, she does seem like she's going to have a lot of trauma to process. Oh, absolutely. Like, they should have counselors on call for this. Yes. Yeah. Um, but she did, she did get through the trial. And in fact, the entire episode, when framed with her going into the arches and leaving the arches at the end, the entire episode really is 
her trial. Oh, and we didn't even say, and now I don't remember what it is, but what the ep- title of the episode is. Oh, yeah, it is What Might Be. Yeah, so... What Might Be. Yeah, I, the, the, the episode is clearly about her. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I would, I'd probably award her as winner of the episode. I don't think I can give it to Rand or Celine this episode. No. Because, no matter how um, much you want to. I, I'm most interested in their scenes, but I don't, I, you know, Celine has her in burned down, uh, gets left at a party. That's rough. Um, Rand is very confused most of the episode. That doesn't, that doesn't help his case. Yeah. And then, and then Perrin also very, you know, he's a hostage a lot of the episode. Yeah, that's he rough. He gets sort of punked by Ishamayel and then gets saved by his wolves. So he doesn't have a particularly strong episode either. Yeah. I feel like the whole Borderlands party is kind of the loser of the episode in some ways. Like, I can take that, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, he he didn't do anything this episode, but Loyal is not having a good time of it. No. Nope. He really isn't. I, no, I can only, it makes me sad just thinking about him being carted off somewhere. I don't like it. None of us do. We all like Loyal. Yep. All right, so Borderlands I, You know, losers. I'll put a, a, a second place nominee mm. in there. Um Logan gets his bottle of wine, and you know what? He's crazy. So <laughs> he does. He and he still care. he still thinks he's the dragon reborn. Yeah. So like, actually, he's having a great night. He's having a great time, <laughs> and he gets to interact with Rand and like torture him a little bit. I, you know, that seemed fun for him. Logan in yeah. his brain is winning. It's Logan Slytherin. Um. <laughs> no, he's just crazy. I don't know. I mean, like he he did have the dragon reborn, like doing things for him and needing something from him. So he, yeah. he was propelled into relevancy again. Yeah. And I think that, that, that makes a case for Loghain for mm-hmm. sure. Okay. So naive winner, Loghain runner up, uh, losers are, you know, the Borderlands party. Everybody and... in the Borderlands. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm good with that. And the, uh, the end is the loser. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, I think that's it for Sarah and I. Yeah. Right. Cool. Any concluding thoughts uh, from anybody before you and I jump off? Nope. I don't think so. Yeah, fun episode. I'm just excited about the next episode since I have not watched it um, and I'm ready to jump in. All right. So exciting. We will be back. Sarah and I will be back next week to review episode four and we will jump off so BJ and Bree can talk some spoiler talk. Cool. Sounds good. Alright, spoiler time. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of nods in this episode to book things uh, that I feel like are going to happen that were kind of fun. Um, I don't think that there was so much of uh, so much of it uh, as as compared to like other episodes that we've had, but there were a lot, there were more like fun uh, tidbits rather than a lot of foreshadowing. Yeah, I think this episode is one that I would point out as it did well about putting in those book nods without being constrained to the books, but also not making book readers, or at least us or me, um, unhappy about how they're interpreting the story. Um, But that being said, I actually do have a number of things in my notes where I was like, ooh, this is not book consistent, or this isn't what we know of the lore. Um, for instance, the the part, you know, where Logan says, you know, I looked up and I saw you and you had a glow and, you know, men can see other men 
um, that are channelers. And that's actually not, that's how it is for women in the books, but men actually cannot do that. Um, yeah, but also we don't know who Loghain has run into that he knows can channel other than Rand. And in the books, Loghain has the power to see Taveran. So like... Oh, ah, that's an interesting... But he was sitting next to Matt on the in Tarvalon, Rand was. So he should have seen both of them glow if that's what right, but he like, saw. But when there's a fucking spotlight, you might not notice the little light bulb next to it. Because that's how, like, Rand versus Matt versus Perrin is described. Yeah, and so, like, you know, again, maybe they'll do, like, the glowy thing. But I think that gives a lot of problems with how other the future things. future downstream. Yeah. Yeah. Or, well, and that's why I pointed out as, like, hey, yeah. like, this is a problem if that is actually what they're going with. I hadn't even, I'd completely forgotten that, that Loghain's talent was seeing Tavaren. Yeah. Um, so that's so a good point. I really hope it's that because otherwise, like, and women can't see other women who can channel as surrounded by the globe, but who are channeling. And so the can channel thing make it like you can just pick everybody out and, and it, it spoils a whole lot of like recruiting for the Black Tower things and detecting Forsaken unless you're like you're always using weaves to hide their channeling ability. Yeah, which is I mean, just... I think you could easily explain it that way right like that's i don't think that's a stretch especially given the massive difference in power levels we've now identified with the forsaken versus i said i versus probably yeah other channelers in this current age i mean it also makes it also kind of invalidates their uh flashback with lucerin like there were there were presumably other channelers and we don't say it like I understand maybe they didn't want to spoil it they didn't think of it it I think it just it messes with so many things that again maybe they'll do it and they'll explain it away and spend time that they don't have on it yeah. but I hope that they just go with the tavern route because that that but, is but that's not a straightforward thing right because we just told people that oh this is because Rand can channel sure and so I think it's a little bit of a bait and switch and you're probably going to confuse people more if you're like, Oh, actually it's this weird talent that he has. Nobody else has it. Um, I mean, other people do like, I, I agree with you. I think, I think this is something that they'll have to grapple with. Yes. And I don't always trust them. Yeah. Or I almost never trust them to do that, but I still maintain hope. So in contrast to the, Ooh, this is not book consistent. I'm going to say one thing that I enjoyed that was, a callback to the books. So in the on the cover art um, for Dragon oh I don't Reborn. remember I think it's the or is uh, it? fires of heaven. Rand is wearing a red coat oh, on yeah, the yeah. cover, and it's such a to me like iconic. Like I remember reading that book, seeing that cover all the time, and so I just love that the the red coat looks very very similar to to what we see on on the cover of the book, um, and then. I think that the the coat that Celine gets for him um, is covered in herons, which we know, you know, are on the the sword. So, no, yeah, that's not the one the I was back, thinking of. The mask, the Ishamel's mask that, that he shows Heron. Yeah, yeah, I know. Anyway, they're not herons or storks or geese. They look like geese. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think they look like herons. They actually look like they have the heads of blue herons. Great blue herons on yes. his coat. 
Um, but anyway, so we know that he has a heron marked sword. Um, and so we see that on the jacket. Before I rewatched the episode, I wasn't sure if it was dragons, geese, cranes, or herons. And I think it's herons. I like it. But yeah, so so that I think is a fun book nod, especially the red with the gold uh, stitching. Yeah. I believe that Moraine gets him this coat Ooh, good pick early up. on. I think so. And it's heron stitch to go along with the his heron uh, sword that Moraine knows about and wants to play up and is a thing. And it's something that he's uncomfortable with and it tries to like downplay it. Uh, a number of times. Wear the good green coat instead. Yeah. Stout, two rivers, blah, blah, blah. The one that doesn't have as much stitching. Exactly. Less Ooh, lace at the cuffs. Speaking of which, I'm a little disappointed in Matt in Nynaeve's uh, arches sequence. He did not have as much lace as he could have had. He just needed a little bit more lace to really make that outfit pop. We don't know what Matt that is. I mean, he didn't even have a pink coat. But he did lose half the light of the world. Well, he got shot Probably not to save through the, the world. back of the head with an arrow, which is not a reasonable thing. And it did come out his eye, eye, which is a fun nod yeah. to the books. Um, and then I also think, like, uh, Perrin being taken out by a thrown axe, I think, is also maybe a semi-nod. Maybe I'm just giving it too much credit, but, like, a semi-nod to him throwing away... Like, he throws, literally throws an axe into a tree at some point because it's ruining his life, sort of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the other, you know, piece of the cover that uh, I thought you were going to refer to as well was the Ishamel mask is very similar to the spine art of the Dragon Reborn. Um, and yeah, I like absolutely I was not thinking of that. But now that you pointed out, I brought yeah. the book over and pointed it out. <laughs> indeed. Indeed, you did. Stubborn, stubborn, bull headed sheep herder. Uh-huh. Speaking of who is not wild and crazy and stubborn and difficult. I'm so thankful that Elaine is not the stuck-up princess that she is in the books. And I know we've already mentioned that, but specifically I think it, it is going to make all of these interactions that we're going to have with the, you know, the Power Girls way better. Yeah. Um, I am also disappointed that Min is working with uh, Leandrin. Um, and I think we'll talk about that a bit more later. But that's absolutely not the men that we know in the show. Um, in the books. Or in the books. Yeah. Um, yeah, it... Uh, what else? This... There was another thing this episode that, you know, felt like... Uh, the Oh, the Falm things. Like, I feel like we we knew more about Falm from prophecies. And, like, Rand was pulled there. And so it feels weird. Like, they're going to have to all end up there by the end of this season. And it doesn't feel like there's any rhyme or reason they just sort of like oh we're going to fall it's a thing and it's like uh okay but i don't know uh we'll see it's a different turning of the wheel it is different a turning. different an altered uh, pattern yes um so the other interesting thing that with nine the arches is that um her being able to channel like they're changing it and you know i like what we came up with but it is one of the sort of weird things that if we're going to see Egwene's trials in the arches, that's a big deal for her too. And so like, you're not going to be able to channel is such a weird thing that they're putting in now. And maybe it's just saying that all the Aes Sedai now are complete idiots. 
uh, and don't know anything. Well, but that is actually very book appropriate, right? Is at some point we realize that the Aes Sedai think they know all of these things and they are the font of knowledge in right. this current world. But most of them And it turns dead. out they're babies, right? Yeah. They have no clue on so many things about how power works, how all of these artifacts work, how to do a lot of things. Right. They're the remnants of the remnants, and not those remnants, but different kind. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Oh, one thing I did actually want to bring up is, I don't think this is how the books put this, and maybe you can help me, but I don't think um, parents driving toward becoming, you know, more wolf-integrated, we'll say, I don't think that that was something that was like, oh, good, like, more wolf-like is closer to the dark one. It was very much wolves are a separate independent thing that is, you know, uh, not associated at all. Yeah. In fact, fights the, yeah, the, the dark I, one. So they're going to have to disentangle that, I think. Uh, I, I, th- I think I that really they're do doing something different. And we're just... This, this is sort of one of the reasons that I was just like, I don't know if we want to, like say like this is different from the book and this is different from the book because like they're just doing something different and it's not right. like foreshadowing anything but yes in the book uh moraine uh perrin asks moraine like is this a thing of the dark one right. she says no it's older than anything we know about like it's this is an right. ancient Completely thing independent. and it's actually going to protect you from the from the dark one and forsaken entering your dreams and like it has all these positive properties and, and the wolves talk about or, well, send images, whatever, about fades and trollocs and everything as bad creatures that they should yep. either avoid or kill. Right. right? So, like, they, they really are set up as a good force. And we even get, I maybe in book one, but, like, in the first couple books that, that taking down a trolloc, you know, is worthwhile and it's worth, like, a pack dying as I remember, right. to take down a fade. Like, this is something that they're so driven for, and so that, like, this isn't a thing. I think a I mean, lot... you had a, a theory about how they're setting this up as a motivation for Perrin, which I actually really like, and I think yeah. that's probably what they're using it for, is just as a... He's scared that by becoming closer to the wolves that he is going to lose himself, become a monster, etc., and Ishmael will have control over him in some fashion. Um... But I do think they're going to have to disentangle this because we know that the wolves are a good power and I don't see that changing. Yeah, I, I think that everybody at some point needs to get reiterated that, you know, Ishmael is, you know, the the father of lies or, or prince of lies or, right. or whatever it is. And, you know, maybe we'll get that with our main characters. But honestly, Perrin struggles with his power through literally the entire, like, series. and So frustrating. Um the only thing that we get is um, him dealing with somebody who like lost himself to a wolf very early on, which right. I, th- I think gives a little bit, but it's not enough because we have Elias as the like, this is the way you do it. You have a mentor, you have somebody to like, you know, lead you through this. And it, I think this is, this is a better way to make Perrin kind of insufferable rather than just him being insufferable. Yeah, that's fair. So I think... In general, this episode is a is a very solid episode of TV, and they do a good job of integrating those book nods and making their own story. Um, I think we're you know excited to chat with you guys about episode four and where it 
is closer or farther away. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Till next time. Thank you.